You're listening to Tap Into Tax, PwC's podcast series covering current regulatory, legislative, and technology hot topics through the lens of our tax technical leaders, as well as process and technology subject matter specialists. This podcast features discussions with some of our leading minds around tax, trade, and domestic and global policy. Stay tuned to our regular updates and subscribe to our series to get notified as new episodes are published. Julie, I'm really looking forward to our discussion today about state and local taxation. State and local tax, it's always a challenge to stay current on all the legislative challenges and changes. Sheila's going to share with us a really outstanding list of issues for us to watch so we can all stay on our toes. I agree, Margie. I'm really looking forward to today's discussion with Sheila, because as you and I both know, there's a lot of complexity in state taxes, and some of them are decoupling from the federal rules, and others are just looking at nonconformity positions based on what they're seeing in their revenue system. So I'm interested to see what she has to say about states and also maybe how that plays into some of the other areas of tax, like international tax arena. All right, Julie, let's talk tax. Hello, listeners. This is Julie Allen. I am PwC's National Tax Service Market Leader. And today I'm joined by Margie Dungeshaw, who is PwC's U.S. Tax Reporting and Strategy Leader, and Sheila Holt, who is a partner in our state and local tax practice, and she is based in Minneapolis. So, Sheila, I would like to ask you our starting question. We know that state and local finances have really been constrained by COVID-19 and what we're experiencing with the pandemic. But I think that full impact of the pandemic is not yet known. And so would love to get your insight on what are the relative conditions of the states right now. Yeah, thank you for having me, Julie. These are challenging times and you are correct. We don't have a full picture of the impact of COVID-19 in the states yet. Because as you noted, unfortunately, the impact of the pandemic is still unfolding. States are bracing for the full impact, and it made it difficult during the budget setting process. Some states, including my own home state of Minnesota, are on a biennial budget system. So they were set for 2020. However, they worked through other issues such as bonding bills needed for state projects. Um, Keeping it at home for me momentarily. On top of the pandemic, Minnesota needed to address police reform and a bonding bill. That bonding bill still needs to be worked through and we are likely heading into a special session in August to try and get that done. But let me talk about some numbers that are out there. At the macro level, there has been research done that the overall state budget impact through fiscal year 2021 is between 158 billion and 203 billion, depending upon the speed of the economic recovery. Now, of course, you'll find varying estimates out there, but the numbers that I just provided were cited by the Congressional Research Service that's been a valued and respected resource on Capitol Hill. The impact, however, since the beginning of COVID-19 restrictions has been uneven, and I'll provide a couple of examples. It was reported in New York that sales tax receipts took a sharp dive in May, being down almost 20% compared to the same time last year. And local sales tax collections were down 32% for the month. 
And this is notable, a notable comparison to Texas, where we see less significant declines, even with the large oil and gas industry hit. Sales tax receipts in Texas were down a little over 13% in May, but only down 6.5% in June. Now, with the current resurgence of COVID cases in several regions in the U.S., maybe this will signal a deeper downturn on some of those states than earlier anticipated. One other thing I will mention as something that has affected a majority of states and really complicated matters is the alignment to the federal income tax return and payment extensions to July 15th for many states. You know, and if you think about this, this had the effect of pushing prime state revenue source into the 2021 fiscal year when before the pandemic, they were expecting to get those payments in the current fiscal year. So it, it, will, it will take some time to understand how much of a decline COVID-19 caused. So in short, you know, we don't know the full impact of this pandemic on state and local finances, but in total, the state revenue needs are likely to outstrip the reserves and the federal assistance provided to date. Sheila, that's going to be really challenging from the states. So as we're looking forward, what do you anticipate the states might do in response to all of these various revenue shortfalls? So far, the responses have been limited, but recent state actions and proposals signal possible state approaches to filling the expected budget gaps. Probably the highest profile response has been in California, and that response may be telling. A budget package was signed by the governor on June 30th that included policies that were borrowed from California's response to the last recession. These included limiting tax attributes. For example, the state is suspending the ability of corporations to use net operating losses to offset profit for the next three years, which applies to companies with over a million of net business income. In addition, for the next three years, taxpayers are limited to a $5 million cap on business tax credits. You know, while these measures are estimated to increase revenues by over $9 billion over the three-year period, uh, further revenue sources could certainly be considered, you know, such as a potential tax rate increase. New York also responded in a way that we've already seen emulated by other states. New York's fiscal year 21 budget included decoupling from certain provisions of the Federal CARES Act, which other states have done too. At the same time, other proposals are pending right now, just given the sheer size of New York's budget deficit. As a general comment, a policy that you want to watch for relates to the digital tax proposals, which have been adopted in other countries. This could be considered in other states looking to expand their consumption tax basis. So those are all things to watch for. And Sheila, I think that's a really great overview. You, you mentioned a few of the key states, California, and their focus on NOLs and cap on credits. You know, New York, this decoupling from the CARES Act provisions. And then really the point on digital tax, I think we can't emphasize enough. So you've gone over those few points specific to a few different states, but what other tax changes should we be watching for as states look to close these budget gaps in the coming year? There are a number of things to watch for. Raising individual and corporate tax rates, and this has been done in prior recessions. For example, in response to the last recession, the largest revenue raiser enacted by New York was a temporary personal income tax rate increase for the upper brackets, 
which generated $4 billion in revenue. Another policy adopted by New York in the last recession, similar to what we talked about in California, is limiting a corporation's use of tax credits. Last recession, New York had a three-year credit deferral, accelerating a billion into the state's coffers. And notable is the possibility of excess profit taxes and whether that will gain traction. This is a regime intending to target businesses that are seen as profiting or benefiting during the pandemic. For example, a recent New York bill would impose a special levy on businesses with profits over half a million, and that during the state disaster emergency have seen a 20% increase in profits compared to the prior year. These calls have generally come from academics who cite the use of these taxes in periods of crisis or wartime economies. And similar approaches might be proposed with respect to highly compensated executives, including CEO pay ratio taxes. This is something that's already been adopted in Portland and is on the ballot in San Francisco. One area that I think merits close attention are efforts to expand the sales tax base or to impose gross receipts taxes. Both policies might be considered by state and local governments due to their application irrespective of profitability. However, the implications to businesses and consumers may make adopting these policies difficult, especially during a downturn. One way that states have imposed gross receipts taxes in the past during recessions is to couch them as alternative minimum taxes and exempt smaller businesses. And finally, another possibility is states expanding the sales tax base by eliminating exemptions specifically for business-to-business transactions. Thanks, Sheila. There's just been so much change in the tax law regime across the states. There continues to be so much change. And we just got over a period of change as states were reacting to the TCJA. So we saw some states decouple from those provisions. Looking forward, do you think any of those decisions will be revisited? Sure. I I do think this could be a possibility. States may look to decouple or take other non-conforming positions with respect to TCJA provisions. For example, interest expense, we have already seen some states reject the relief that's provided under the CARES Act. In addition, a big question will be whether states will reconsider treating guilty as a deductible dividend. There are academics calling for such actions, just as they also called for mandatory worldwide combined reporting, which could dramatically expand the corporate state tax base. And the question becomes whether taxpayers receive adequate apportionment factor representation for the foreign income inclusion. There may also be an interest in reversing certain other actions that were taken before the pandemic when state rainy day funds were in their best condition since the last recession. So this might include business tax rate cuts and franchise tax phase outs. In some cases where where revenue triggers were included in tax cuts and phase out, these measures could be stalled by operation of the law. Sheila, thank you. That's a lot of helpful information. I like in that part of where we're going that you also wove in other areas of focus, international tax with respect to guilty and the foreign income. Very impactful to see how all of these different taxing areas, not only in the state level, 
but relate into many other areas of tax law. So Sheila, finally, just one question that I have is, how have you seen tax administrators react to the pandemic? And how do you think that reaction will change in the coming year? So the reactions have been mixed. It it appears state administrators have been understanding of the challenges in tax compliance and have provided both formal and informal relief. In some instances, we have seen more flexibility in settling tax disputes in recent months. At the same time, we've also seen some state auditors taking a business-as-usual approach. And this is not surprising in a downturn. Often it's the department's audit function that shoulders the burden for shoring up state revenue in the absence of significant legislative action. Notably, in instances of leniency, taxpayers may see an increase in enforcement as states look to make up that lost revenue. This morning, there was an article published noting that New York will likely become more stringent when it comes to issuing refunds. One area to pay um, particular attention to is enforcement of recent nexus expansion laws in the states as e-commerce increased in the stay-at-home environment and states may feel that non-compliance has resulted in a lag in sales tax receipts. I will also say that amnesties are a common method of raising revenue to close budget gaps. Sometimes these amnesties are paired with increased penalties if you don't participate, which can provide auditors with more leverage as they seek non-filers and assert underpayments. Washington State, for example, has temporarily expanded its voluntary disclosure program to include taxpayers that previously had been contacted by the department. Taxpayers not qualifying for the program could be subject to up to 39% in penalties. I'm sure this goes without saying, but as with all such programs, the details and specific taxpayer facts are important. So with all of that being said, although there is uncertainty, with the state's reaction. They are busy looking to close the budget gap with various revenue raising measures. So you're you're likely to see changes and taxpayers should be watching for the effect of changes as it relates to their business. Sheila, thank you so much for joining us today. I think what you've said here with respect to the state tax area has been very impactful. You know, we have already experienced many changes with respect to the federal laws and expect more that will either be changes or clarifications. And I think what you've highlighted here today is we don't stop in the federal arena, that state and local also, we've seen many changes in and expect many more to come to either explain or to change the rules that we have. So thank you so much for joining us and for all of your insight. Thank you both. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com slash structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.